creative, critical thinking are big, being persistent, not giving up early. So being adaptable, um, being self-directed, having integrity, all of these things are just critical skills. And I find a lot of times elementary teachers are great at doing these things. High school teachers are reluctant to want to teach these things, even beyond, even I would take this to college as well, because they just think kids know this stuff, but don't assume it. They don't just know it. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 40 of the Genomics Podcast. If you've joined us before, you know that we normally talk to scientists or clinicians to highlight some of the interesting work that they are doing in genomics. But today we're going to change gears just a little bit and talk about science education. Now, I think it's no secret that becoming a scientist or a clinician requires many, many years of education and specialized training. And a lot of us scientists spend a great deal of time thinking about science education programs, most especially for students in college or in graduate school or in postdoctoral fellowships. But young kids spend 13 years in formal schooling before they even get to college. And these so-called K-12 through years are really critical for educating today's kids for careers in science, technology, engineering, and math, collectively referred to as STEM. But even beyond STEM careers... Science education is also important in preparing the next generation for dealing with challenges that they'll face in the future. But a recent National Science Foundation survey reported that only 25% of participating elementary school teachers reported that they felt qualified to teach science. So today I'm at the Van Andel Education Institute to understand how they aim to turn this statistic around by strengthening science education through programs and inquiry-based learning opportunities across the educational spectrum. And I'm joined by Randy Shrigardis, Student Programs Manager at the Van Andel Education Institute. Randy leverages his 27 years of teaching experience to design curricula and resources for better science education. We've done a number of podcasts in the past, and you know we've talked about this concept of education, but we've talked about it focusing more on sort of the higher level education, you know, sort of grad student or postgrad student, postdoctoral fellowship level. I, for a long time, wanted to do a podcast looking at education earlier than that. So I'm really delighted that you're spending some time to sit down and, and talk with me about this this topic of science education. But set up the discussion a little bit. I was wondering if you could spend a few minutes and talk about your background, you know, how you got involved in uh, education and particularly science education, and what led you to your current role as student programs manager at the Van Andel Education Institute. My grandmother has passed, but uh, I remember talking with her about her early years of, of teaching, and she would talk about hitching up the horse and pulling the buggy to the one-room schoolhouse, and she was 16 at the time, and wow. she was the teacher. <laughs> and she would teach all of the subjects, and she was particularly proud of teaching, I think she was calling it, I'm 
of phonics or she talked a lot about the words and sounding out the words and I got stories from her and I think going way back then that that led a little bit of the foundation to me getting started in education. Uh, my dad picked that up and he taught actually talked he taught right here in Grand Rapids. So I got into education. Um, I went to Hope College here in Michigan and that was uh, about 32 years ago now. Wow. So I spent 20 years in the public schools, uh, started out in Plymouth, Massachusetts, and then eventually moved back to Michigan and taught in Holland, Michigan for about 21 years. I taught earth science, physics, and biology, mostly starting out in the, the middle school and then moved to the high school. But the thing that I'd like to point out that I loved the most was actually the teaching of the, or the working coaching in Science Olympiad, mm -hmm. the robotics team, and I don't know if you're familiar with FIRST Robotics and the competitions that are going around, around the country, and then also the rocketry team. But what I took away from those things is how to truly engage kids, because these projects were more cross-curricular in nature, especially like the robotics team where the kids had, they had to do the build, they had to do the programming, they had to do the, the math, they had to do the science, they had um, writing components where they had to get up and they had to tell the story. So it was, they, they pulled everything together, it kind of broke down the siloed walls of science. Right. And ultimately, that's what I'd love to see our schools do is to start to break down those walls. I mean, how often do you see you know, if some of the big challenges in the world today aren't siloed in just chemistry or, I mean, pick climate change. Yeah, absolutely. You know, which, which area would you put that in? Hey, I love this concept that you brought up of the silos and the need to break down those silos in education. We talk about that in science, too. We talk about, you know, we have biochemists or molecular biologists and we need to be more integrated. And I also like that you brought up this concept that in the future there are these huge challenges that people are going to need to deal with, and they're going to need science to do that. And we're going to need the scientists to actually do the research. So as a country, well, let's focus on the U.S. for a minute. How do you think that we're doing in training this kind of next generation of scientists? Or wh what would you grade us overall? Are there places doing, doing this really well and places that you know, maybe are not doing it yeah, so well? It'd be really difficult to put a grade on it, but I think, uh, you know, right now the, the STEM industries are booming. And these are things like Apple or a lot of these new startup companies are, that are coming along, which they're being extremely innovative and they're looking for unique um, new employees. And are the schools meeting that need? So you have this rapidly changing workforce and you have a school system that is rather, in my view, is rather stagnating. Mm -hmm. I mean, the good news, I think, is that we've had, um, more recently, we've had um, something called, at least for science, the next generation science standards have come along. And they have done a lot to really try to move science into a new direction. For instance, Michigan used to, when I was um, in the classroom in Michigan, they would hold, they really had two different books. One was the content of the science that needed to be taught, and the other was really the process of how to teach. Mm -hmm. How do you teach science? Right. And the test then really drove the content part. So most teachers purely just looked at content. And so our courses really became heavily memorization-based and, and really driven by that content. And the process book literally left closed and was collecting dust on the shelves. Wow. 
So, and I think a lot of states were in the same situation, and, and I don't blame teachers for this because they were um, trying to meet these tests, and these tests were really driving that content-driven classroom. There's been more of a cross-the-nation movement, and I don't have the number now, but I think it was 26 states have gotten on board now to the Next Generation Science Standards. And what that is, is that's really the integration of the two books I was talking about. You have the content book and then you have the, the process book, but they wove those two pieces together in a way that they really can't be pulled apart. And they call these the performance standards. Okay. So and now the performance standards are really driving kind of a new way of teaching science, which which I'm I'm totally in favor for. So that is really the good news. Now as you go around, I just think there, there are pockets of people that are doing this better than others. You mm -hmm. know, there's some that are still caught up into the kind of a traditional routine of delivering the content, but I see more and more people that are um, teaching in this new way. And actually, that does lead me a little bit to what we're trying to do here in our own organization. We have a thing that we call Blue Apple. Mm -hmm. And under Blue Apple, we are, just this past year, we are creating projects for fourth and fifth graders. And these are meant to be um, cross-curricular projects, so they tie in all of the subject areas, which I, I think it makes sense to do that in context. Give them a reason to, to learn the math. Give them a reason to want to so write. So you give them a problem, and you ask them to kind of tackle it using a bunch of different approaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and each of the kits is designed, I believe it's they're designed to be about 10 hours long, so the projects aren't real long. Mm -hmm. And the teachers will actually get a box delivered to their doorstep, with all of the resources, or most of the resources that they need, and then they can take that and then they can adapt that lesson to any way that they want. That's awesome. So we talked a little bit about Blue Apple, and I know that your institute is you know, developing resources that are not just helpful for students, but helpful for educators in putting their science curricula together. So can you talk about some of those resources that educators can, can turn to if they need help in uh, designing their science education curricula or, in, or any other resources that are out there that you think are particularly good? We have a model of, of inquiry that we will put in front of the teachers and we'll teach them how to use. And some of it is, it's already, or a lot of it is already familiar to teachers, but we're just, we're putting it, we're packaging it together in a way that really makes sense to them. And really, our model's broken into three parts. It's in the center of it, you'll find the process of scientific inquiry. And this is stuff that teachers are already familiar with, but we really help teachers how to teach the different parts. For example, you don't always have to start with a question in investigations, but often you do. And we will work towards helping teachers learn how to develop great questions. Even if you go back and you think about your own K-12 education, can you ever remember being asked to design your own question, run your own investigation, come up with a claim, evidence, and reason, and then present that to an audience? So we'll help them, help teachers, and help um, students uh, develop great investigation questions because if you don't have a good question, it makes the rest of the process really difficult. Mm -hmm. So we'll take them through the process. That's a key area is creating the questions. We'll work with teachers, helping them to design good investigation plans. And then the idea is that you get them to revisit that plan throughout the investigation to, see, you know, to evaluate whether it's working or not. Another big portion is the, the collecting of the data is 
again, we've been in the trap of setting up the data table for the kids, but now put it in their hands. How would you set up this data table to collect the data that you need for this investigation? So make that part of the curriculum. Yeah, just so. flip it. Let's stop having the teacher do all the work and let's get the kids to start do the work and the thinking around these parts. So getting the kids to first take a look at the data and evaluate whether that data is actually good data. I mean, did they collect the data that they were intending to? Then they'll go through and they will actually organize that data. You know, is there another way to organize that data that will help us to see patterns? Because ultimately, we want them to look for patterns in the data. And for if sure. they've got a large data set, maybe if I manipulate it this way or that way, I might see a different pattern in the data that will, and it might even take me in a different direction on my, my investigation. And then representation is really important. It's first I like kids to look at how can I represent this data for me to make sense to me? And now think of it through a different lens. How can I represent this data for an audience? And that might look different both ways, but getting them to truly think about it. And then, of course, they have to go through and interpret the results. And from that interpretation, we take them into explanation. And this is another really challenging part for teachers is um, creating great explanations and breaking that down into a claim, evidence, and reasoning. And we'll go through and, and help teachers understand what it means to write a good claim. So it's a, you know, it takes some practice to really get good at this process, asking great questions to get you to the claims and evidence that you like. That's really interesting. And it, it sounds in some way, you know, that's how, that's how life actually works, right? That's mm -hmm. what we face as scientists. We face problems and we have to figure out the best, you know, what is the question as you asked and what's the best solution and how do we kind of analyze that and represent it in the best way. So I think that that's really mm -hmm. fantastic. You know, one of the things that, that, that's really struck me is how re really amazing and beautiful this this institute is. I'm, we're right now speaking from the Van Andel Research Institute with, with whom you're affiliated. And I'm really interested in, in learning a little bit more about what it's like having an education institute that's so closely aligned with this really world-class biomedical research institute. How does this environment, this really unique environment, how does that provide you with opportunities and what are some of the challenges that you face? Being close to the, the Van Andel Institute offers uh, just tremendous opportunities. Um, in part, it's just the, not only the financial support, but it's the building, it's the facility. They've been very invested in wanting us to succeed. So that's been huge. And we, another advantage is having access to scientists. So where the model came from was our work in the classroom and, and with the collective group, we have quite a number of years of experience. Then it comes from looking into the research, but just as importantly, and maybe more so, our scientists provided us input on this model to how they really do science. Oh, wow. So that's really helped us to the, the parts I just shared they had an opportunity to help inform us as to how to design this to really help students. Because when I was in the, in the classroom, I used to say stuff like, um, you know, this is how scientists really do it. I had <laughs> Without any no clue how idea. scientists do it. <laughs> I had no idea. But then coming here, it's like, oh, yeah, this is how they really do it. So, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So I, I certainly got a new perspective on that. Every year we get better and better access to the scientists where our various programs will get um, students and teachers up here to the main building and they'll get to meet a scientist. Some of the tours are just short, but they'll get to talk to a scientist. They'll get to a little bit of insight as to what the labs are like. There's also this misconception of what a scientist looks like. 
I think they look like me. Yeah, they look <laughs> you know, like me. White right? and beard and, you know, <laughs> men. But we, we get them here and they see a, a great diversity of scientists, um, women, men, um, folks from all cultural backgrounds, dressed in all different ways. And I think it really helps to start to break down that, you know, that so misconception. So they can now start to see themselves in yeah, some of those yeah. kinds of roles. Yeah, and plus all of the different opportunities. You know, even going here and we look at the art that's displayed, and some of it's very intentional art, like the Chihuly in the main part, but some of the uh, monitors that are up are showing some images that, in my mind, are art, but they're really, scientists are looking for different ways to highlight different aspects of their of their slides, and, and they look really cool when yeah. they're done. So, you know, there's all kinds of job opportunities in a place like this. Yeah, that's awesome. I just did a recent podcast with a cell biologist, and he said one of the things he likes about cell biology is a scientific approach is that he's generating these beautiful images. And mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that in the past, that, oh yeah, that, that's actually really important for someone. It, it really informs their perception of the science, like having a really beautiful image that kind of mm -hmm. sums everything up. So. Oh, and they just advanced that too. And I'd love to get my hands on it. I, I believe within the last year or two or three, they got a 3D printer up here. Oh, wow. So not only do we have these two-dimensional <laughs> images, now they can print these 3D models. And then why I wanted to mention it is, this is an important practice in the schools. I mentioned NGSS, or the Next Generation Science Standards, and they really put out eight different practices that kids really need to become proficient in. And the word practice really combines the word skill and knowledge. So these are scientific skills, but we don't want to isolate that from the knowledge. So the eight practices. And one of them is developing and using models. Wow, that's interesting. So our, our model of inquiry has the process of inquiry, and those are the parts like the question, observation, collecting data, and explanation. But for that to work, where we really want to work with teachers, there are two other areas. One is the learning environment. It's critical to plan the learning environment carefully. For instance, how are you going to engage students in that classroom? What are the kinds of strategies that you are going to use to engage kids from the moment that they walk into the classroom? And I just wanted to mention that quickly is the creation of the learning environment is really important. And the other piece that gets left off a lot is the habits of mind. And the habits of mind are, in, in my opinion, are absolutely critical because these are the things that I know I've talked to small businesses and they say that we can teach kids to do most anything. We can't teach these soft skill parts. So the habits of mind that need to be intentionally taught are like curiosity. Like curiosity right. is huge because I think curiosity is something that is really pounded out of kids early on. That's unfortunate. Yeah. And it's and part of it is this content-driven you know, idea. I got to cover all of this. Teacher feels pressure to do that. So I don't have time for you to be curious about these things and ask these questions because we want to cover this stuff. So pulling in curiosity and really fostering curiosity in the classroom is huge. So I know that you're you're running a lot of programs uh, at the institute. Is there are there any programs you want you you'd like to talk about in particular that you think really kind of highlight some of these concepts that you yeah, just yeah I'd uh, love to talk about our programs a little bit. One of our flagship programs has been our um, after school cohort program. The institute offers that as a free program. We don't want to have any barriers for kids. We want 
We want to have a group of students there that really truly represent the Grand Rapids community. If they can't get here, we'll send a cab to their school, wow, bring great. them here, and then we'll get the same cab and we'll use that cab to take them home. So, and again, that's, that's 14 weeks, it's 56 hours, and the kids really get to dive into some content. Our, we've, we've just opened up a second strand, but our main strand has been on biodiversity and human health where in the first year the kids really dive deeply into species and what does it take for a species to thrive and survive. And we actually have the animals in our building. We'll have wow. bearded dragons, we'll have salamanders, we have all kinds of creatures that the kids will work with and they'll do investigations as to, you know, what do these organisms eat or um, what temperature do they prefer what kind of light do they prefer? And then they'll end up making a habitat for that organism. And then they'll take some field trips to the zoo and, and maybe Meyer Gardens. Then the second year is really around ecosystems. And the kids will go visit actual ecosystems and look at how they'll work. They'll compare different ecosystems. They'll do little investigations out in the real world. And then they'll come back and they'll actually design ecosystems at our place with living plants and animals. So they'll build what we call terra aqua systems where they'll build a food web of aquatic organisms and a food chain of terrestrial organisms and they'll put that in a system and then they'll observe that and see how that works and they'll slowly change conditions to see how that affects those habitats. So that's one program. We have field trips. We've just been getting into the last couple of years where a teacher now can bring their students to our place and they'll do an investigation for two, three hours. And we have a lot of different investigations that they can choose from. And then as part of that, they'll come up the hill to this place, to mm -hmm. the main institute, and then they'll get to meet a scientist. And the scientists will give them a quick tour of, of a lab and they'll get to look around and, and just ask questions of a scientist. What is it like to be that? Wow. So, which is, a, which is a, another fantastic opportunity for teachers. And the last thing I'd like to mention is, and this is kind of a special program, it's the, what's called the High School Journal Club. And these are for students that are really interested in the kind of work that's being done here. And so we will recruit six teachers from area schools, which they in turn will recruit about three students. So we'll have 24 students and six teachers for a total of 30. And they will come here and they will get to experience, um, one is they'll do an investigation, the kind of investigation that will kind of mimic what the scientists do here. They'll use a small worm called C. elegans, mm -hmm. or sometimes they'll use Daphnia. And just to experience what it's like to go through the investigation so that they can get to the journal articles because we want them to, to feel, you know, what is all the work that goes into writing one of these articles. Right. And then the focus is on the article. And they'll get matched up with a postdoc, and the postdoc will help a small team, a team of three kids and their teacher, choose an article that they will read, and then they will they'll di dissect that, and then they will present that to the group and get conversation going. Kids will also then participate in the journal club, and the, the whole journal club idea is modeled after the journal club that the scientists do up here at the main institute. And so the kids will get to then participate in that journal club with the scientists. Wow. So they get into that whole scientific conversation. So what do you think the future of science education is going to look like? What are some of the things, and we've talked a lot about some of the programs and initiatives that you have, but what are the things that excite you the most about the future of science and education? And what do you think we'll see over the next few years? Well, you know, I'm, I 
I'm excited about that there is a movement and I'm excited about this um, next generation science standard movement because I believe it's moving us in the right direction. And especially it, it's really helping to get kids to be doing science. And, and I think that's probably the, the thing that I'm most excited about. And I believe this movement, because I'm seeing some of the other things going along with it, like the STEM movement and the project-based movement, all these things are sort of happening together. And I feel like this is something that's going to stick around for a long time, So, which would be really cool. I'd love to see classrooms where kids are actively doing science. And especially, as I mentioned before, actually creating their own questions and designing their own investigations. And, and I didn't mention much about engineering, but it's just as important, actually identifying problems and working through to solutions. That's awesome. Randy, I, I just really want to thank you so much for joining us for the podcast. I know that there's a lot of issues and problems that are going to uh, really need to have you know big scientific input. And I think it's fantastic that you're helping students and, and especially teachers to design those curricula. Thanks very much for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Right, well, thank you very much for having me. In the U.S., the next generation science standards are helping to renew K-12 science education. By moving away from a memorization-based and content-driven approach and toward a more cross-curricular approach that emphasizes both content and process. Ultimately, these improvements in science education will better prepare students for the STEM careers of the future. If you'd like to learn more about the student programs and instructional tools at the Van Andel Education Institute, please visit VAEI. .vai.org. I also wanted to mention that the Illumina Foundation and Discovery Education just launched a new program to encourage kids to embrace genomics and pursue STEM careers. Their free online platform is called DNA Decoded, and it provides resources, curricula, and teacher development materials to support K-12 genomic education. If you're interested in learning more about DNA Decoded, please visit www.dnadecoded.org. And hey, if you like today's show, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. O.K. Borg, Professor of Oncology and Pathology at Lund University. We'll be discussing biomarkers in cancer medicine and the BioCare Project, right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>